The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. Hi, friends. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. Spotify for podcasters is now available for use by anyone out there who's interested in producing, monetizing, and distributing their podcast. You can have access to some of the best tools in the industry using Spotify for podcasters. Go to podcasters.spotify.com for more details.
Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss the mystery of the shadow people phenomenon. We're going to take a look a little bit into the paranormal tonight, and we're going to talk about this whole idea of shadow people. Now, I'm sure many out there have seen or experienced or heard of such phenomenon before as shadow people. It's an interesting idea. It's a very interesting topic to explore, for certain. And tonight, uh, we're going to look at a book ri written by one Mr. Jason Offit. And th the name of this book is Darkness Walks the Shadow People Among Us. And this is an interesting breakdown of the whole phenomenon. This guy put a lot of effort into this. He certainly explored some of the history of this phenomenon that's been with us since the very beginnings of time, at least since the recorded history started, the written history. We've had reports of such things. Now, what are these shadow people? Are they entities from another dimension? Are they psychological phenomena? Are they some other type of a thing here some other type of a manifestation hard to say for sure but we're going to explore some of the underlying concepts that tie together the various aspects of this phenomenon and we're going to look at what different cultural aspects speak to this type of a thing and we're going to see there's common characteristics throughout all time and culture that apply to these very things so there's something here. This is a real phenomenon of some sort. What the true characterization of it is, no one can really say for sure. But this is something that crosses the lines of time and culture, as we've said here. And it's been experienced throughout all different epochs through the ages here. And there are different aspects to it that leave an impression on the human mind. And we're going to explore this tonight, the mystery of the shadow people. So we'll read into this book. I don't know how far we'll get in here tonight because this is jam-packed full of all kinds of good information. An actual cursory study of the phenomenon and the different types of explanations for it. And I will, of course, pause at different times here throughout the course of the reading to give my opinion on things. So here we go. The mystery of shadow people. Sunlight drifted through the open window of the girls' bedroom as they played dolls. Kara and Sarah were sitting on their bunk beds when they realized they weren't alone. The shadow man was watching them. We saw it only once, but talked about it often throughout our childhood, Kara said. I told my sister to go get our dolls that were on the floor near the door. Sarah slowly shook her head no as she stared apprehensively at the door. 
Kara slowly turned to see what kept her sister from moving. I saw the dark silhouette of a man, she said, just the head and shoulders leaning into the doorway from outside of it, as if he was peeking in. The mid-afternoon sunlight dressing the room made no harsh shadows, especially not one shaped like a man. It was broad daylight, and the shape was opaque black and seemed to be two-dimensional, just like a shadow, Kara said. I really don't remember what we did after that, but I do remember telling our mom about it, and she just thought we were being silly. The memory is very real, and I am sure if I asked my sister about it today, 30 years later, she would describe it just as I did. As Kara and Sarah discovered, sometimes shadows do walk. In the gray world of our homes after the sun goes down, we sometimes glimpse the black shapes of people or animals moving through our bedrooms, our hallways, our waking nightmares. They walk, they stare, and sometimes they talk. They are the shadow people, and I've found stories about them from across North America, England, Portugal, South Africa, Australia, and other parts of our planet. Out of these stories have emerged eight general categories of shadow people, and I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So some of you may be familiar with some of these manifestations of what is referred to as shadow people, these eight categories. So these are the eight general categories here that we will list off. And perhaps some of you out there may have had a similar experience to that of these two girls that they described here. Well, now they're, they're women, so uh, this was a long time ago that they remembered seeing this. And this is a common thing, actually. It's far more common than people might want to admit to. Because we're largely taught in Western culture to block out these type of ideas, that they're not scientific, and therefore they're not proper or rational that these are all just figments of the imagination and it's something we don't talk about. It's something perhaps evil that uh, shouldn't be discussed and this kind of thing. This is what we're given in, in Western culture when it, approaching these type of subjects, something that leans a little more towards the paranormal. But anyway, without further ado, here is the eight general categories of shadow people as identified by this Jason Offit. First, we have benign shadows. Secondly, shadows of terror, red-eyed shadows, noisy shadows, angry hooded shadows, shadows that attack, shadow cats, and the hat man. Gonna pause for a moment there, folks. There has been a recent resurgence of this hat man idea, but it's far older than just the modern era. You see, and this is one of the categories of these shadow people, the hat man. And things like creepypasta have made these kind of things a little bit more common tropes. A little bit more popular culture icons than anything, which I think lends a little credence to the idea. Gives it a type of energetic influence in certain ways when you have popular culture kind of uh, setting these things up into the popular imagination, it offers an energetic principle to it. And this is called a tulpa, or an egregore. So the offering of social energy to this type of a phenomenon actually gives more fuel to the fire, so to say, here. So the popularization of these things will likely lead to further manifestation of these type of things in the future. So it's important that we look at this. I mean, this is a phenomenon that's been with us since the very beginning of time and culture. So it's something, like I said, that transcends time, 
culture and geographic boundaries. We've seen this. But things today have popularized it and taken it to a level whereas it wasn't all that empowered before as it is today. It's captured a lot of people's imaginations. But let's continue on because there are some certain characteristics that we will describe about these things and we'll get into perhaps some of the sources of what this could be. These categories often overlap. Some terrifying shadow people have red eyes, some don't. Some hat men are ominous, some are not. Some angry hooded shadows seem to paralyze you and sometimes attack. Others simply seem to acknowledge your presence before they make their way through your house and disappear through a wall. But what they are is a mystery. Are these shadow people ghosts? Demons? Reflections from a parallel dimension? Space aliens? Or, as with Ebenezer Scrooge's ghosts, maybe an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. Although experts in the paranormal and science offer numerous explanations for these shadow people, all or none may be valid. Whatever these entities are, the uncountable number of geographically separated people who have encountered these dark beings know they are real because they have reported seeing, hearing, feeling, and fearing these walking shadows. Like Margot Davies of Seattle. Davies moved into a house just east of Seattle in 2002, and from early on, she knew something wasn't quite right about the house. The third night in the house, some relatives came to stay the night, she said. Later, the next morning, my aunt took me aside and said she sensed something in the house the previous night. Nothing bothered her until she began modeling in 2005 and started seeing a dark figure in her home. I think that's supposed to read remodeling, folks. Let me read that phrase again with remodeling instead of modeling. Nothing bothered her until she began remodeling in 2005 and started seeing a dark figure in her home. Quite often, I began to see a dark shape of a person near the door of the den out of the corner of my eye, she said. At first, she dismissed these sightings as a trick of the mind, until she was sitting in her hot tub one night in November of 2007. I glanced in the living room window, and there was a dark shadow in front of the lamp staring at me, she said. At first, I thought someone was in the house, but then how could they be dark in front of a bright lamp? As soon as the man-shaped shadow realized she was looking at it, it quickly moved from the window through the living room wall, re-emerged in the kitchen, and then disappeared toward the den. I ran inside dripping wet, checked the house, and no one was inside, she said. I never said anything to anyone. A few months later, a cousin stayed the night with her and saw the same thing. He looked awful in the morning, Davies said. I asked why. He told me he was very frightened the previous night. He said he saw a shadow in the hallway watching him in bed, and then it disappeared through the wall. Her cousin asked why she didn't warn him her house was haunted. She didn't because she didn't think it was haunted. I'm not sure it's a ghost, and if it is, I don't think it's a bad one, Davies said. I'm not sure what this shadow person is or what it wants. I don't feel threatened by it, but I am scared when I see it. Sightings are rare, though, so I don't mind putting up with it as an unwelcome house guest. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So this woman experienced this phenomenon shortly after remodeling her house. 
there's always an interesting attachment there with that kind of a thing. Especially when you have an older home. If you buy an older home that's been previously owned by somebody or that's been there for some length of time, sometimes there's these types of energetic attachments to it. And any disturbance of the physical structure of the building will sometimes stir up activity. This is a common trope with uh, ghosts as well as with these shadow beings as we see here. These are the things that are reported. I always caution everybody, take this stuff with a grain of salt. There's no real way to prove nor disprove any of the things that are claimed here. And a lot of this, oftentimes, is personal stories or experiences being conveyed. And how you feel about that is your own reaction. It's based upon your own experiences. Do you, are you inclined to believe people who tell you these types of stories or not? Now, I personally think that everybody has some types of weird experiences during their lifetimes. Things they can't explain. Things that are paranormal. And I tend to believe people when they tell me of a personal experience like this. Especially when they get into detail like that. And can tell you a bit of something. And it's, it's something that uh, I think deserves a little bit of attention. Now, what is the cause of this? This is what's open for debate, right? It's a real phenomenon. But what exactly it is manifesting, who can say for sure? Is it something strictly psychological? Is it something akin to what's called pareidolia, where the human mind has a tendency to try to organize patterns and make something out of them that looks like a human face or some similar thing? Is it something akin to that? That's a possibility as well. Light aberrations? Could it be ghosts, other dimensional beings showing manifestation here? Could it be like the, the Plato's Cave allegory? Perhaps we're seeing the shadows, quite literally as well as figuratively, and maybe they are a reflection of ourselves. And likewise, these shadows see us as a shadow from their own perspective. It could be any of these number of things. But uh, it's hard to say for sure because we only have a lot of hearsay when it comes to this stuff. Now, there have been some evidences portrayed by ghost hunters and the like and by people that managed to maybe catch something a little sketchy on film but none of this really stands up as being actual legitimate physical evidence of such a thing this is largely an experiential thing so being subjective as it is how can you effectively explain something that is experiential and subjective in an objective matter-of-fact way and this is where the difficulty comes in. So how can you classify this as a phenomenon? And this is what the author here has attempted to do. And I'm sure there's others that have done this work as well. And he's compiled a lot of it here together. So that we have this one resource where we can read about this phenomenon. So let's continue on and see what other information he could give us. So next in the book, he says, what are they? Have you seen these human figures walking through your room at night? 
Have they been cloaked like the Grim Reaper? Have they glared at you from the darkness with glowing red eyes? Or worse, have they touched you? I know you have a story, or you probably wouldn't be reading this book. Do you know what these shadow people are? Carl Beckham's father thought he did. Shortly after Beckham's father died in 1992, Beckham discovered something he could never wipe from his mind. My little brother told me that one night he was bringing my dad home from the doctor's office, he said. When they got to the house, my dad told him to pull his car so that he could shine the headlights into the backyard because he wanted to see what was out there. Beckham's brother saw nothing strange in the backyard, but since their father slept in the back of the house, his room would have overlooked the yard. Beckham wondered what his father was looking for. When I went into his room, I was shocked to see that he had placed several homemade locks, pieces of wood nailed onto the door, like he was trying to keep something out, Beckham said. Beckham's father saw blacker-than-night spirits roaming the yard, spirits he was afraid fed off the dying. Although no one else in the family could see these shadow people, Beckham's father could, and he was terrified of them. Terror often accompanies these entities, sometimes because of the unknown, but other times just the presence of a shadow man pulls raw fear to the surface of your consciousness. Independence, Missouri-based psychic Margie Kay is familiar with shadow people and said these entities come from a number of different sources, but that one type of shadow person feeds off terror. I think that shadow people are just people that live in a higher dimension than us, and they may look just like us on the other side, but we can only see their outline, Kay said. Most are probably benign, but others, the ones who actually interact with us, are likely not, and may even be some other type of entity who gets their energy from fear. So this gentleman conducted a poll, and he's got a graph here showing the results of the poll. And he says, in a poll I conducted on my blog, which was called fromtheshadows.blogspot.com, respondents overwhelmingly believed shadow people are beings from different dimensions at 47%, over demons, which 21% believed, ghosts, 16%, psychological disorders, 13%, omens of impending doom, 1%, extraterrestrials, 1%, and the angel of death, which was less than 1%, but evidence supports shadow people, maybe all of these and more. So next he goes into a little history here. There's where things get interesting because, like I said, this phenomenon has been with us for a very long time. And I don't know how far back he goes with his research, but it looks like he's only going back to the 1800s here, which this phenomenon predates that by many thousands of years. Let's be honest here. It goes back as far as written history does, right? But uh, he's giving it a fair shake here in the modern era. So let's see what he says here. A little history. Shadow entities have been part of our cultural mythos presumably forever, but specific descriptions of shadow people can be traced back to recent history with an 1887 short story, Les Horla, by French author Guy de Maupassant. Details of paranormal activity in Maupassant's story correspond with many shadow people reports. Maupassant's fictional tale, which deals with an aristocrat's descent into madness, describes a fear of sleep, seeing a dark presence in the periphery, and finally feeling the presence become more invasive to the point of attack. The terror that Maupassant's character experiences is common in many shadow people encounters. 
Last night, I felt that somebody was squatting on me, pushing his mouth on mine, drinking my life out through my lips, the character says. Yes, I really felt he was sucking my life out through my throat, just like a leech would do, Ma Poussant's character later postulates. He is possessed by this entity that has stalked him. This, again, is a behavior reported in some Shadow People encounters. And I'm going to pause for a moment right here, folks. This also sounds very much like the traditional description of the succubus, or incubus, uh, a demonic manifestation. So... This is one possible descriptor here, and this sounds like what this Maupassant was describing in his fictional work here that uh, Mr. Offit is citing here. Let's continue reading, though. The term shadow people appeared in popular culture in 1953 in the radio drama Creatures in the Shadows, also known by the title The Shadow People, that appeared on Chicago's WGNAM Hall of Fantasy. But the earliest Shadow People report I have been able to uncover occurred to Charles G. Parcells, now of Otto, North Carolina, in 1949. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. Before we get to this account, we could see that in the 1880s, the idea was popularized through fictional novels. And in the 1950s, the term shadow people began to appear in pop culture with radio dramas, Creature in the Shadows, and, and this kind of thing. So we see how fiction has kind of empowered this idea, this archetype per se, and that's perhaps what this is in the background, a type of archetypal thought form that manifests through people, something that resonates with everyone. And it seems that the fiction, or the entertainment of the era, seems to help to manifest this to a greater degree. Seems there might be some kind of an attachment there, or some kind of a connection to that, which once again furthers the idea of the concept of a tulpa, or egregore. This energetic principle wherein your, your thought energy, or your, your focusing on such a thing, actually helps to bring about a sort of manifestation. Now, is this something purely psychological, perhaps? Or is there something more to it? I think there's probably some kind of spiritual attachment to it, the nature of which it's hard to say for sure. Sometimes they're benign, sometimes they're mal malign, according to the research that's been done upon these different concepts here. So let's continue reading and see what he says here about this this case that was reported by Charles G. Parcells of Otto, North Carolina in 1949. So he says, My encounter was a long time ago, but I still remember it very well, Parcells said. Of course, at the time it occurred, I'm sure the term shadow man had not yet been coined. Charles was 13 years old and lived with his mother, brother, and grandmother in San Jose, California, when a shadow man invaded his life. It was around 10 at night, with just the faint glow of streetlights visible through the windows, he said. My brother and I were lying in our beds, talking a bit before going to sleep. Diagonally from Charles was an old-fashioned sash window, not curtained or shaded, which looked out over a walkway that ran alongside the house. 
All at once, a dark figure dressed in a black cloak and wearing a black hat with a wide brim and a tall crown appeared in the window, he recalled. No facial features were discernible on this person, but I took it to be a man. The shadow man stood at the window, reached out both hands, and in complete silence, raised the bottom sash. I thought he was going to climb in, Parcells said. At that moment, I started yelling my head off in total fear. As I did so, the figure reached up and silently closed the window, turned, and moved out of sight. His mother burst into the room to see what the yelling was about. I need to go into that scene, Parcells said, since my tale was profoundly doubted. But the next day, Charles discovered that the shadow man was something more than a flesh-and-blood man. The window had been locked from the inside the whole time, he said. The window, either opening or closing, made an audible, raspy, squeaky sound. Outside, no footprints dotted the soft earth between the window and the walkway. But I saw something, so what in the hell was it? This book contains hundreds of such first-hand accounts of these shadow people. Many of the people whose stories appear in this book requested anonymity, and those people I only refer to by first name. As a journalist, I collected stories from face-to-face -face interviews, television, or sorry, telephone interviews, email, and comments posted on my blogs. But this book isn't just a collection of shadow people stories. It's an attempt to explain this phenomenon from the viewpoints of physics, psychology, metaphysics, Western religion, and American Indian shamanism. Many people believe shadow people are beings from different dimensions. Others think these walking shadows are demons, ghosts, a psychological disorder, extraterrestrials, the angel of death, or omens of impending doom. This book also covers how to get rid of the shadow. I wish I'd had this book when I was a child, watching in horror as these entities walked in fits and jerks through my room. My quest to find out more about these darker-than-night, two-dimensional, human-shaped beings started many years ago. Between the ages of eight and twelve years, I saw this walking darkness. Lying in bed at night after my parents turned off the lights, moonlight pouring through the open windows in our old farmhouse gave me a clear view of my entire room, the bookshelf, the Farrah Fawcett poster, and the shadow people. I stared from behind blankets as human shadows walked through my room. I'd cry out and mom and dad rushed to my room, but they never saw the things I saw. I didn't know what the things were, but I knew I saw them. As I grew older, I found more people have seen these shadow people and have been just as frightened. Whatever the explanation or explanations for these shadow beings, most people who encounter them feel afraid, violated, and helpless. To a shadow person, you are nothing, and that's why they will sometimes ignore someone, exorcist J James Bucknam said. If you strike their curiosity, then look out. Their present means bad things are on the way. Shadow people, he said, never operate alone and are very curious. They investigate everything and are constantly checking people out, he said. Be careful with shadow people. They attract other negative entities as well that are floating around out there looking for something to attach to. Bucknam is convinced shadow people have never been human and exist in negative realms, always looking for a way into our world. Shadow people are part of the world of spirit, he said, and they are bad news. Gary G. Ford of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, has seen them too and challenges those who don't acknowledge shadow people. They are enough to scare the works out of most people who want to deny these experiences can happen, Ford said. But I've experienced them. I know they are real. 
and that makes the universe more complicated than simple-minded theoreticians wish to entertain. So begins our journey through a land where shadows lurk, shadows walk, and shadows dance, and we're just in the way. So the next portion of the book here, we're going to talk about the science of shadow people. And this is the interesting portion, in my estimation here. Rather than just offering these stories, you can hear these kind of stories all over the place. There's a lot of these paranormal podcasts and stuff out there that talk about this kind of stuff all the time. There's so many of these stories out there that float around. And a lot of them have common themes to them. So that being the case, I mean, I think there is some truth to these experiences. People do sometimes have these types of encounters. Now, they may differ as to what the cause of these various things are. Some of it may be psychological. Some of it may be something maybe a little more sinister, something spiritual. It's hard to say for certain. I don't think there's any one-size-fits-all explanation to it. But there have been some folks that have tried to explain this through the use of various scientific tools of observation. And we're going to get into that right now. So, the science of shadow people. Science rules the universe. If you drop a hammer, it falls. If you drop a hammer and a tennis ball, they fall at the same rate. If you see something that isn't physically there, it may be something biochemical or electrical dancing on your brain. But how do these rules apply in the paranormal universe? In this chapter, I will look into physics, psychology, and neuroscience in an attempt to deconstruct the shadow people, those creatures that appear to be both solid and vapor, a waking nightmare and a sleep disorder, a real entity looming over you, and the product of electric stimulation to the brain. So first up, we have basic physics. Margie Kay of Independence, Missouri, relates a story told to her by her 11-year-old granddaughter, Cynthia, about an encounter with a shadow person. She said that one night she woke up in the middle of the night to see an outline of a six-foot-tall person standing in her room, looking away from her at the TV set that had come on apparently by itself, Margie said. The person turned around and looked at her for a few seconds, then just dissolved away. She said it had no features, she did not sleep the rest of the night, and wouldn't even get out of bed to turn off the TV until it was daylight. To Northwest Missouri State University chemistry and physics professor Rick Toomey, something solid enough to cast a shadow and hold its shape can't just dissolve. Matter comes in three forms, gas, liquid, and solid, and only gas dissipates into the air. If it's not solid or liquid, it has to be vapor. Gases don't maintain shape, he said, and you'd need a pretty high density of gas to prevent the transmission of light. So for shadow people to exist, according to physics, Toomey said, they have to be pretty dense. It has to be a physical entity that's solid. It's not liquid, it's not gas, Toomey said. That's why I have a problem with ghosts opening doors. A gas isn't going to surround a doorknob and apply torque. I can't buy into that. Toomey's colleague in the NWMSU Physics Department, Dave Richardson, shares Toomey's concern. Given the many reports of shadow people walking through someone's bedroom, they have to be solid. If you just look at what a shadow actually means, when, they've produced their, when they're produced, they must be a blockage of light somehow, or the removal of light in some way, he said. From a scientist's point of view, they have to be opaque. Unless it was incredibly dense, 
The gas wouldn't do much. For example, smoke casts a shadow, but can't retain a shape and quickly dissipates. For Cynthia's shadow to look like a man and to turn on the television, it has to be something else. It seems a difficult thing to actually reconcile with what we know about light and shadows, Richardson says. But what of shadow people who can exert a physical force? Like the experience of Donnie from Montana, quote, I was sleeping on my side when I was awoken by what felt like someone sitting on my bed behind me, he said. I felt someone sticking their finger to the middle of my back. When he opened his eyes, three shadow beings stood around his bed, and he was afraid to look at what might be poking him from behind. Donnie had felt a touch. Although the entities slowly dissipated, those two events don't correspond to known science. Physically, we can't feel the force extended by gas particles, Toomey said. In order for you to feel pressure, you have to scuba dive or somebody drops a rock on your head. You have to have a mass to exert a physical force. So for Donnie to have felt something sitting on his bed and a poke in the back, something solid had to be in his room. To have a physical push, you have to have matter, Toomey said. What matter do you have, solid, liquid, or gas? From that point, you don't have many places to go. If you're feeling a touch, there has to be a push as far as physics is concerned. Of course, many people believe shadow people aren't science. People say it's not a physical force, it's an ethereal force, Toomey said. Gravity only works in one direction. How many times did light knock you down? But people don't have to be touched to feel, as Rian of Cape Town, South Africa, discovered when he reached into a shadow person. I was lying in bed getting ready to slumber off when I noticed that in the corner where my bed was placed there seemed to be an exceptionally dark and dense patch, Rianne said. I told myself that it's nothing but a play of light shadows created by my curtains. As Rianne laid there, he, his imagination running scenarios through his mind, is it a trick, a light trick, an intruder, a ghost? He extended his arm and reached into the void. I stuck out my hand and slowly moved it so that I could touch the corner of the wall, which was not very visible due to this dark patch, he said. As my hand touched this patch, I got a sudden sensation that can be equaled to having a little shock, similar to static electricity. Rianne snapped his arm away from the dark patch. His arm suddenly started to feel very lame with needles and pins crawling all over my skin, he said. It felt like my skin was contracting and getting very tight, and I lost all mobility in my arm. Although Richardson agrees that something has to be solid to physically touch something else, people can occasionally feel they're being touched without really being touched. Maybe there was some electrical interaction, he said. There needs to be something that raises the hair on your arm that would give you the feeling that you're being touched like static electricity of a hairbrush. Of course, it's an electrical field that causes this sensation. You have more immediate problems to deal with than shadow people. If you're in a high enough field like that, you don't really have to be that close to it to actually feel it, Richardson said. If you get too close, you get shocks that do hurt. So I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So, of course, you have your very sciencey sounding professors trying to explain the basic states of matter to these people and saying how... This is not possible according to the known laws of physics. 
So, what do they know? Do they know anything about the ethereal? Or about the quintessence? About these other elements of metaphysics? Metaphysics and physics are the same thing, folks. It's, it's two different sides of the same coin. It's the same thing. It's just a different manifestation. Or a different perception of manifestation of it. So metaphysics and physics are intrinsically linked together. And they're only looking at one side of the coin here. So that being said, I don't think it's, it's right to dismiss these things out of hand by saying if we can't effectively measure it or quantify it in some way, it doesn't exist. And that's exactly what these science-minded professors are doing here. So with that being the case, this is much of what our problem is in the modern era. We only use scientific method as one investigation method of things. And this has become the big problem, is it's become the only method of investigation they use for anything. Scientific method. And oftentimes, the things that they claim are science do not even stand up to scientific method. So we have this dichotomy of thought. So you have this mainstream science narrative that says if you can't measure it, if you can't quantify it, it doesn't exist. And that's exactly what these two professors have done here by stating the known and observable laws of physics, the commonly known ones, and speaking of the three phases of matter that are commonly known. And of course, many of you, I'm sure, are aware there's more than three phases of matter. There's at least four or five that are known now to modern science, plasma being a fourth state of matter, as opposed to solid, liquid, and gas. So there are other manifestations, and uh, this guy said, when was the last time that light knocked you down? I wonder if that gentleman's ever been blasted by a powerful enough laser. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, uh, these things are, are, are definitely possible, but uh, I would say uh, <laughs> um, largely dismissive when you're looking at it from the pure standpoint of modern physics. But let's read a little further on here, because there are some other explanations and things offered here from different perspectives, and it's all about the perspective. Like I said, physics and metaphysics are the same thing. It's largely misunderstood, because they're, they're two sides to the same coin, and it's all about your perspective metaphysics a metaphysics perspective as compared to a physics perspective sometimes they look a little different but they describe the same things just applying different causal factors to it and it doesn't mean that either one is incorrect in fact sometimes they validate one another physics and metaphysics so in so doing it's important to understand that concept and much of our modern science has completely discounted the metaphysical side of things. They see it as being silly and nonsensical, not a practical way of thinking, because they can't quantify properly these things. That's what it's all about with scientific method and observation. It's about quantification of something. If you can quantify it, if you can measure it, it exists. Otherwise, it doesn't exist in the eyes of science. And that's wherein the problem lies, because they have many of these things that occur, a lot of phenomena occur, 
that our modern physics can't explain. So they come up with variables to explain these things. And thus you get things like dark matter. Now, maybe to these scientifically minded people, these professors, perhaps you could say, well, maybe they're made of dark matter, these shadow beings, right? And maybe then they'll start to rethink the way that they approach these subjects. Because how would they define dark matter? Is dark matter also consistent of solid, liquid, or gas? Does that manifest in the same way? Ask a scientist this someday. They, they, they largely acknowledge the existence of dark matter now, but can they explain the phases of dark matter and how this would be observable and how this would be able to be maybe perceived by a human being? So maybe that's another aspect of it we could look at, the dark matter principle. But let's continue on with the reading here. Different dimensions. One common explanation many people give for shadow people is that they're beings from a different dimension that somehow bleed into ours. Such is the conclusion of a paranormal investigator from California who goes by the online name Froggy. Froggy has seen shadow people during investigations and in his personal life. It's interesting so many people having the same or very similar experiences, he said. I, too, have had this phenomenon of being paralyzed as if something was on top of me. My brothers have also had the attack, and one brother witnessed a shadow person way back in the 1980s before shadow people were, was a buzzword. During a November 2007 trip to the La Purisima mission, Froggy photographed one. I believe we live among many different dimensions, Froggy said. Ghosts live in one dimension, shadow people in another, and our dimensions can cross, making it possible for us to come into contact with each other. But how does Froggy's belief match up with science? Marie Jones, author of Science, then that's spelled P-S-I-N-C-E, how new discoveries in quantum physics and new science may explain the existence of paranormal phenomena, agrees other dimensions could be possible source a possible source for shadow people. In my research into quantum and theoretical physics, I came across three concepts that really opened up the possibilities to me that entities from somewhere else could be coming here, showing up as either imprinted projections or actual semi-physical manifestations such as poltergeists, etc., Jones said. One of the three concepts is parallel universes. Theoretically, if these infinite other universes exist, we really should not physically be able to access them based upon our known laws of physics, Jones said. Yet even theoretical physicists entertain the thought that perhaps the laws of physics on the other side allow for some crossover. They're saying, well, maybe the science doesn't apply to these entities. <laughs> and perhaps they're right there, because there's a lot of unexplained phenomena that happen in this world that our modern science and physics simply does not account for and cannot explain and often will just dismiss it out of hand but things when they have something like this occur they and they can't just outright dismiss it because well let's be honest here there's been so much documentation of these things that there must be something to it so they come up with some alternatives here and this this woman who wrote this book is very much hung up on quantum theory apparently and even in quantum theory sometimes they can 
posit little explanations as to these things, how something like this could possibly manifest. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe there's some interdimensional or extra-dimensional aspect to this. So let's continue reading and see what else she has to say here. Jones's second concept has to do with spatial and temporal alternate dimensions. We are told that these dimensions could be infinite in size and exist at the tip of our very noses, she said. Again, our laws of physics do not allow us to cross into them at will. But if there is some sort of resonant synchronization of energy, perhaps a doorway is opened just long enough to allow something to slip on through. The third possibility, Jones said, is the zero-point field, which is an electromagnetic energy field that fills a vacuum. Within this field lies the landscape of time, past, present, and future, she said. Linear time is only a human illusion, but in the quantum world there is no linear nature. It all happens at once. In this field, Jones explains, is everyone who has died is living now and will live. That opens the door to the possibility that certain people tap into this field for information such as remote viewing, psychic abilities, and even healing others, she said. It also presents the possibility that entities may be coming from the field, manifesting in our level of reality, which is really just one among many levels, then vanishing back into the field. This, Jones said, could explain the nature of most ghosts and shadow people. Gonna pause for a moment there, folks. Okay, that sounds like a very sciencey explanation. Of course, invoking quantum ideas once again. Quantum physics and talking about the zero-point field. I assure you this woman cannot define what a field is, let alone <laughs> what the quantum field is or what the zero-point is. This would be what we would refer to as counter space. And we see, I think there is an electromagnetic principle that is the uh, electromagnetic dynamo that makes this place operate, that makes us function, that we do have this continuing flux of electrical and magnetic energetic principles into and out of space and into and out of counter space, back and forth, rotating in a toroidal type field or a type of manifestation. And a lot of this goes back to applied physics, field theory, and such as that. And there's no universal field theory that really stands up to scrutiny that's been presented by modern science. And oftentimes the scientists cannot even define what a field is. So with that being the case, they will often allude to this field, this resonant field. And I think metaphysics approaches this subject a little bit more than our modern physics does as to what the field is. It's a resonant field. If you study into the occult sciences, it's all about resonance, frequency, vibration, these things that Nikola Tesla advised us to think in the fashion thereof. So it's like a frequency. So it's like a radio tuner, like as if your, your senses were a radio tuner. Okay, we're all familiar with the radio tuner analogy. If you tune in the station and you pick up the, the frequency, then you can hear the transmission that's coming through on it. But if you tune the out of, away from that station or that frequency, then you don't hear it anymore. And perhaps you get static or perhaps you tune into another frequency. 
So we are attuned in the same way, our physical reality. So this is a good analogy that is explains the nature of consciousness and how experiential things happen here. So perhaps a good explanation for perhaps the, the experience of seeing a shadow person or some such thing. Perhaps at just that moment, your tuner is just slightly out of tune. This radio tuner that is the human body and the, the, the energetic field of the human being. Perhaps it's out of tune just slightly, and you're getting a little bit of static. And what you're seeing manifest is the static. It's this crossover of this other station, as it were. So if you're familiar with the radio, especially an old tuner radio where you have the little dial that you use that puts the little line back and forth, and it's, it's not as precise as a digital tuner, an analog tuner, if you will, an older analog tuner. Sometimes you get crossover and you could pick up very close radio frequencies that are, are together and you get some bleed over from that. So you don't get a pure signal. You get two signals that are intermixed and sometimes you could hear some of what's going on on the other radio station rather than the primary one you're tuning in. So maybe this is more akin to what happens in this type of a scenario as far as a physics explanation would go. But we'll go ahead and we'll humor the quantum scientists because, you know, in my view, in my estimation, from all the things I've studied and read, it seems to me that when you see the word quantum, you could just make it synonymous with magic. or So uh, anything that they, they list as quantum, just think of magic. And you get the same indication here. And that's not to discredit magic or quantum. I think they're the same thing, really. Just a different perspective of looking at it. And quantum, what they try to do is they try to break things down into individual particles or particle interactions to explain everything. And that's not necessarily how it works. But they will, you know, say quantum because they don't really know. So, of course, they'll assume that it's some kind of a... A, uh, a particle interaction going on and, and label it quantum, but essentially it's the same as saying magic. So uh, <laughs> let's continue reading. We'll go ahead and we'll humor some of the more quantum ideas here as well, because maybe there's something to them. I don't know. I reserve the right to be totally wrong about everything. Let's be honest here. I don't know everything. I just will give you my opinions, and in my opinion, I think anytime you see the word quantum, you could just go ahead and replace it with the word magic, and it's the same basic thing. Same basic description you have going on. Uh, but let's continue. Although some physicists entertain the idea of these multiple or parallel universes, Richardson and Toomey aren't among them. Said Richardson, if shadow people are solid and we kind of ignore the people who say they put their hands through them, I always hate to bring this up in this context. But if there were extra dimensions, there could be the effect of something similar. Shadow people might actually be people. I'm skeptical of that, but it's possible. We're just starting to figure out that sort of stuff. Toomey's not as forgiving as the theory of the theory that makes 11 dimensions possible, string theory, in which there are more than four dimensions, each small and string-like. String theory is math, it's not science, Toomey said. You can postulate there are 11 dimensions, you can't test it. Until string theory produces a testable hypothesis, it's not science. It might as well be the paranormal. Interdimensional is about as science fiction as it gets. So I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So 
I give kudos to this Toomey guy. <laughs> he says string theory is math. It's not science. He's absolutely correct. And that's the problem. Apparently he doesn't realize that much of the science that he's quoting from is also math. The same thing. They use math as a reification for ideas that they have and to input variables that make the model that they want work. And then they call it science. That's what's gone on largely in science. So I give the guy credit. He, he seems pretty smart. But he hasn't quite picked up on all the rudimentary parts of the science here. That it all is based upon math at this point. So let's continue on here. So that's as far as they go about the interdimensional theory here. So the next avenue of thought that uh, Offit explores in the book here, he says, Sleep Paralysis. Sardonic Laconic, an online name, he is sardonic after all, saw the Shadow Man as a child. The memories have haunted me ever since, he said. When I was six, I saw it at my dad's new house, towering over my bed, he said. I couldn't move, and I don't remember what happened next. All I remember is trying to scream, but there was this horrible weight on my chest. This type of encounter is all too common, and psychology has a name for it. Sleep paralysis. As an anonymous poster to my paranormal blog put it, it's a simple physiological phenomenon similar to sleepwalking. But when you go to sleep and dream, your brain shuts down the connection to your body so that you don't walk and thrash about in your sleep just because you're moving in your dreams. When this connection fails to shut off, you get sleepwalking. When you wake up before it can reconnect, you're paralyzed until it turns back on. End of story. No aliens, no shadow people, just science. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So there you go. There you have your materialist viewpoint, your hyper-materialist viewpoint. Just science. The be-all and end-all of anything, right? Of everything. So it's just a physiological mechanism of action here. This doesn't explain all of these encounters, folks, because I assure you there have been people fully awake and conscious who have experienced shadow people or similar things, have not necessarily been paralyzed. It's not all sleep paralysis, as this one gentleman here would explain it. Let's continue on. April Haberjan, a psychology professor at Northwest Missouri State University, agrees that shadow people encounters are probably the product of dreams. Haberjan said that when people sleep and enter the REM phase, it's very common for them to see things. Online poster Midnight Hayes reported an experience somewhat similar to sardonic laconics, although during the encounter, Midnight Hayes was an adult. I had lived in a two-bedroom apartment for at least 12 years, he said. I was sleeping on my side when I was awakened by what felt like someone sitting on my bed behind me. I felt what felt like someone sticking their finger to the middle of my back, and I was now paralyzed. I could not move, but I could open my eyes. When he opened his eyes, there were three black figures in the corner of the room. Two were as tall as adults, and one was shorter, he said. Now, in both fear of someone behind me and the figures in the corner, I started to pray to God to help me as I closed my eyes. I opened my eyes again, and the shadows were gone, and I could move again. According to Haberjan, this kind of encounter, the fear, the paralysis, the entities, is normal. 
There are hormones in REM sleep that paralyze the major muscle groups, and it's called paradoxical sleep, she said. Although this happens during REM, these people don't stay asleep, and the hormones are still in their bodies. It can last up to eight minutes, and they feel pressure on their chest and can see people, even people they know. According to psychologists, sleep paralysis, which is known as old hag syndrome in paranormal circles, for feeling someone sitting on your chest is relatively common. Although Carrie Moeller didn't feel the pressure on her chest when she experienced shadow people, she did, as Hayberian said, see people. Last weekend, mid-June 2008, I settled myself into bed and began to drift off to sleep, Moeller said. I was dreaming while in that half-asleep stage. In this dream, I was actually settled in the exact place I was settled, asleep in my bed, on my stomach, lying on the right side of my face, so in a way one could argue that I wasn't completely asleep. Then she felt something in the room or someone. I remember feeling the presence of people at the bottom of my bed, so in my dream I turned my head around and saw three or four shadow entities shaped like people at the bottom of my bed. Fear gripped the sleeping Muller because this dream was lucid. She knew it was real. It seemed like they had been waiting for me to fall asleep, she said, so I called for someone to watch over me while this was happening. She felt her body rising out of the bed and floating towards these shadow beings. I had no control over my actions, she said. As I was floating towards them, they put out their arms in front of me, and I was immediately was pushed out back into my bed where I woke up and could remember everything vividly. Was Carrie's encounter a dream, or was she visited by shadow entities waiting for her to fall asleep? So I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So we see, once again, we have this idea of sleep paralysis, dreams, and various aspects thereof. And although this may be a plausible explanation for some of these encounters, it certainly does not discredit or dismiss all of them. And this is largely what's done by the scientific community for this. They'll try to explain it all as this same thing, when it doesn't always fit that mold. That's where you have to have a little bit of crossover here. Well, you can't just stand by the strictly scientific observation point here, or method of analysis, which is what they like to do. And I understand why, because scientific method is a very valid way of objectively measuring something or gauging something. So it does have its uses, but a subjective or experiential thing like this is not always the best use for scientific method for this kind of thing, for validation. Because certainly, it doesn't necessarily validate every single case of this. Sometimes you have to go beyond what we experience in everyday life in the regular physical world here and look at other causative factors that step outside the bounds of the physical world here in order to come to some conclusion or plausible solution to many of these things. So it's not always strictly a physical phenomena here, as they would like for you to believe. It's not all this hyper-materialist viewpoint as has been presented to us in the modern era. Not everything is the result of some bioelectrical, electrochemical process of the human body. It's not all just a manifestation of that, although they would like you to believe so. 
That's not always the case. There's something more to it in many of these cases, as it were. So even though this does offer some plausible explanations, I think many of the other explanations that are given may also be plausible. So you can't just dismiss it all out of hand as being just one causative factor for all of these things. I find it interesting, though, that they all have these very similar characteristics, and there are these various types that have been reported throughout all time, and they have these commonalities. So this tells me that there's something real behind it all because not everybody would have the same exact experience if this were something like a sleep paralysis situation this would manifest differently for each person especially if you're talking about where they're in a dream state not everybody dreams the same thing but we see these commonalities with these encounters all the time don't we so maybe there's something more to it Let's read on here. Next, he explores the idea of archetypes. And in my personal view, I think this is probably the most profound way of looking at this and probably some of the best information to look at as the regards of these shadow beings as they were. I think it's a, a good explanation for quite a bit of the phenomena that we have in the world today. It all has to do with archetypes. So let's read on here. Archetypes. The black hooded figure has haunted humans for centuries. It may appear as a shadow lurking at the periphery of vision, or it may fully reveal itself as it did to Luke. I've been visited by what I presume to be the same shadow three times in my life, and the memories have haunted me ever since, he said. I first saw it when I was two in my bedroom at my dad's duplex. Luke watched the hooded figure walk up the stairs and stand in his doorway before it backed away and disappeared. When I was six, I saw it again at my dad's new house, this time towering over my bed, he said. I couldn't move, and I don't remember what happened next. All I remember is trying to scream, but there was this horrible weight on my chest. About two years later, it poked its head into my room at my mom's house and stared at me for a moment before stepping back into the hall and disappearing. Although Luke has experienced other shadows, the hooded shadow man is the only one that frightens him. It has always seemed very menacing, he said. It's quite different from other shadow people I've seen. Reports of shadow people are worldwide. Why would people from the United States, Europe, South Africa, and Australia see the same entity? Marie Jones is convinced it's societal. I have spoken with many folks in the paranormal community, and many have a growing belief that these entities are a sort of archetypal presentation of the collective belief system of the times, she said. In other words, as a collective species, we share many beliefs and paradigms, and those often manifest in our mythology or how we perceive the unknown around us. Throughout the decades... What's reported in paranormal events seems to evolve over time. For instance, with regard to UFOs, it started in the late 1800s as slow-moving airships advancing to Foo Fighters, buzzing planes during World War II, saucers in the 1950s, and finally, today's black triangles, each incarnation keeping one step ahead of our own technology. So could these shadow people in some way be the latest Collective manifestation of our archetypal fears, Jones asked. We are living in tense times. 
Wayne A. Chandler, associate professor of English at Northwest Missouri State University, said these ominous dark figures have had centuries to become familiar. The features, even down to the robe the Grim Reaper wears, goes back a long, long time, he said. The idea of the Grim Reaper, the cloak, and the big scythe goes back to Europe, to the Middle Ages. It's an agricultural kind of symbol. The scythe is for the cutting of wheat in the fall. Obviously, when you cut wheat down, you kill it. And I'm going to pause for a second here, folks. Actually, that symbol goes back way further than that, too. Uh, that's a Saturnian symbol. That goes back to Saturnian ideas and times way, way back in the beginning of the written history of mankind, as far back as we could look. This is an archetype, and that's the important thing here to keep in mind. So this hooded figure, this figure of the Grim Reaper as one of these shadow entities, or the manifestation similar to that, is an archetype that goes way back, ties back to the Saturnian ideas or ideals, and has associations with crossing into the underworld and such things. So this is how the idea came about with that. It's something that's inherent in the human unconscious mind. Something we have in common. That's the whole definition of an archetype. It's something that we intrinsically understand that's ingrained in us, even though we don't have conscious knowledge of it, per se. So these symbols, and that's what this has become, the, the shadow person has become a symbol, it's an archetypal symbol, that we associate with certain aberrations, things like death, darkness, uh, negation, and sometimes it doesn't have a negative connotation to it. Sometimes it's just an absence or some such thing, or sometimes it's it, it's hard to describe here, all right, what the whole archetype of the shadow can represent. It represents an aspect of ourself that's unknown. It's also a representation, a symbol of the unknown or the unknowable. And that's what makes this very interesting, right? A shadow is the absence of light. It's the negation of light. You see, it blocks the light. And so these ideas, they, they play heavily psychologically on our mind, in our psyche. They play games with our psyche, especially this type of an archetype. And that's why people resonate with the idea of the archetype. And perhaps there is something to that analysis here. Our perception of our reality, especially when it comes to archetypal things, is based upon our culture. And we can see how we've uh, shifted in the modern age with all of our technology. If you do look at the example here that he uses for UFO culture and this kind of thing, he's, he's correct. It started largely back in the late 1800s with the airship phenomena. And it manifested differently then than it does now. And, of course, these things go back even further than that in time, right? So it's all about this archetype and how our senses perceive it based upon our culture and how it manifests. But the shadow is a universal archetype that transcends time and culture because it is the absolute symbol of the unknown or the unknowable, as it were. So when we encounter that... 
it leaves us with more questions than answers. And that's what the nature of this phenomenon is. Leaves us with more questions than answers. We don't have many plausible explanations. I mean, we do have some explanations here, but they don't always fit, do they, as we see. And that's the interesting nature of it, and that's why I think the archetypal method of analysis of it is probably the most important method of analysis. Uh, so that being the case, we could see it's perhaps has intelligence to it, or perhaps it's our intelligence that makes it seem to manifest an intelligence. It's a reflection of us through a glass dimly in a certain sense. Or maybe it is an external figure to us, something that exists in an alternate type of uh, reality or dimension here as described, that somehow when our tuner gets just a little out of whack, we can experience it or see it. And maybe... Maybe it's something entirely different than that, even. It's hard to say for sure, but let's continue reading here, because this is where things start to get interesting. Uh, I find this, this topic very fascinating. I like to explore these kind of things. The paranormal has always fascinated me. So, let's read on here. Spectral figures and other aspects of the supernatural abound in classic literature, but the depiction of the paranormal in literature is quite unlike modern stories where the supernatural entity is the centerpiece of action. In classic literature, the supernatural doesn't take action, but prompts people to take action to mess up their lives, Chandler said. In Hamlet... There's the ghost of Hamlet's father who spurs him on to do horrible things. And Chandler doesn't limit a culture's literature to the written word. Movies often depict the classic Grim Reaper figure, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, for example, as do television programs such as the cartoon The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. I would give it a really broad definition, he said. Look at movies, TV, any message sent from the culture, and you've got this figure all over the place. Art, literature, even in places the figure is not supposed to be death. In The Lord of the Rings, the Black Riders just had a sword instead of a scythe. The next portion here says, Tricking the Brain. Some scientific research suggests that shadow people could be the product of electrical stimulation. While studying the effect of electrical currents on the brain, Swiss neurologist Olaf Blanc obtained some unexpected results. Low-level electric currents aimed at specific regions caused a test subject, a 22-year-old college student, to physically sense a shadow person behind her, according to the September 21, 2006 issue of Nature. The student kept turning her head to the right, and when asked what she was doing, she said a shadow person was not only standing behind her, she knew it wanted to do her harm. When the current was killed, the shadow person was gone. When the current was turned on again, the shadow person was back. Eventually, the woman reported the shadow person was sitting behind her, trying to take things out of her hand. The fact that the actions of the shadow person mirrored the subject's own led researchers to postulate that the woman's shadow person may be due to electric charge, which was causing the subject to misinterpret her own actions. A trick of light and shadow may also be to blame for many shadow people. A team from University College London found dim lighting causes many people to see ghosts when the context is unfamiliar. 
If we know what a room looks like in the daylight, we'll be less likely to mistake a coat rack for a moving sentient entity. The less familiar we are with our surroundings, the more we'll imagine we see spooks. The researchers related this to seeing faces in clouds and carpets. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. So once again, the pareidolia idea. Once again, so we see we do have some plausible scientific explanations for some of these phenomena that happen, but not all of them. Some of this crosses the bounds of simply pareidolia or some similar type thing. Let's read on. Chemist Rick Toomey said anything that throws off the chemical balance of the brain can cause all sorts of problems. All sensation is in the nervous system, and it's all chemistry, he said. If every neurotransmitter is chemistry, you can wreak havoc with that. Sleep paralysis, biochemical imbalances, and interdimensional travel are a few of the explanations proffered for some shadow people encounters, but other encounters, dark and sinister, may have a more terrifying explanation. Demons. So next, this next portion here that we'll get into, and we'll probably finish this up with this portion, talks about the metaphysics of shadow people. So this is stepping onto the other side of the coin here from the physics. Physics and metaphysics, same thing, just two different approaches, two different perspectives of the same exact thing. So we have these older sciences that, uh, older occult sciences or alchemical sciences as you were, that we might call metaphysics today, and that's largely one aspect of some of the occult sciences is metaphysics and it's it's often looked at as being backwards in our modern society but i assure you it's not much information can be garnered from a metaphysical approach of analysis as opposed to a strictly scientific method viewpoint as our modern society likes to approach these things but uh, it's just a different method of gathering information or studying and analyzing data. It's, it's a different process that we use. It doesn't make it any less valid than the other. And that's what our modern scientific thinking has done. It has devalued many of these other approaches to things, to these other ways of analyzing information. It's devalued them, and it claims to be the be-all, end-all. And that would be scientific method. And they don't even apply scientific method to the things they call science now. And that's how science has become the modern buzzword and has become the new religion. The new mythology for our modern sensibilities. Science. But uh, we're going to explore the metaphysics aspects of shadow people now. Metaphysics re represents a philosophy that digs beyond the physical world. In the Greek philosopher Aristotle's work, Metaphysics, he explored the nature of existence, which sort of things exist, how things can exist when the natural world is constantly changing, and the possibility or impossibility of humans understanding existence. Today, the field of metaphysics deals with exploring that which is not seen nor recognized by traditional science, namely phenomena that deal with the mind. Ghosts, ESP, and lucid dreaming fall into this realm. Thus, metaphysical explanations for shadow people differ widely, even bringing extraterrestrials into the mix, as you'll find in chapter 14 of this book. 
Sally Rhinefeather, the Director of Development at the Rhine Research Center near the Duke University Hospital in Dur Durham, North Carolina, said, There is no metaphysical co consensus when it comes to shadow people. I don't know if there is any one professional perspective, she said. Some phenomena, like poltergeists, have been thought to be spontaneous psychokinetic energy, unconsciously produced by repressed young people, and possibly some haunting phenomena might even be the same thing. So next, he names mud shadows. In the active site of infinity, anthropologist and author Carlos Castaneda called these shadow entities mud shadows. Castaneda, who cataloged paranormal discussions with his mentor Don Juan, often saw these shadows gathering and dancing at the edge of his vision. Metaphysical author Jack Alice is an expert on Castaneda's writings and said the fear people in the presence of shadow people feel is real and serves a foul purpose. These mud shadows basically feed upon human energy, Alice said. According to Castaneda, there are two types of other dimensional mud shadows, the organic, entity, organic entities and the inorganic entities. The difference between the organic and the inorganic entities is the inorganic entities were just sort of shapes that could both be up to no good or up to good, Alice said. Good meaning these entities may barter for your energy, bad meaning they were out to steal it. Some of them were up to seducing whoever they were close to. There were also the more benevolent organic ones. These organic benevolent shadows do not feed off humans, but won't attempt to stop the inorganic shadows from doing so, due to a non-interference morality. Most of Castaneda's contact with these mud shadows came during lucid dreaming, a dream state in which participants know they are dreaming and can, in some way, control the dream. Many people in the paranormal field equate this type of dream with astral travel. It wasn't dreaming as in the ordinary way we dream, Alice said. It was actually an inter interdimensional journey which left Castaneda and anyone in this state vulnerable to attack by the inorganic entities. Some of it is very nasty, Alice said. They were trying to capture him. What these entities are after is our energy. Their motive is to steal our energy. Gabe from California has read Castaneda's work and found the, these mud shadows inserting themselves into his life. These shadows, he said, are our predators. They feed off of our energy, and this is why they are often seen hovering over us. As a child in Missouri, he woke to see a woman in a flowing gown hovering over his bed. When I blinked my eyes, the woman disappeared, he said. Gabe's awareness of the figure frightened her off. But he knew why she was there. She was there to feed. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So we have this aspect is written by an anthropologist of what he calls mud shadows. And he defines two different types. There's benevolent ones and not so benevolent ones, which he terms as organic or inorganic. So th this has been something that's been studied by a lot of people, this phenomenon. It's been very much recorded anecdotes of these types of things all the time. The next explanation given here as a metaphysical explanation is called spiritual shadows. Let's read on. 
Psychologist Stan Gooch of England, author of Personality and Evolution, The Biology of the Divided Self, The Neanderthal Legacy, Reawakening of Our Genetic and Cultural Origins, and Creatures from Inner Space. Boy, that's a long title of a book, huh? <laughs> so, says that shadow people are real, as are so many other paranormal entities. I believe in all forms of spirit visitors, incubi, succubi, poltergeists, shadow people, ghosts. They are real, Gooch said. But I do not think they are discarnate spirits, although I don't absolutely rule out that possibility. Gooch, who has seen a Neanderthal materialize at a seance and made love with a succubi, still grounds these experiences in psychology. <laughs> Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. This guy sounds like he's a lot of fun at parties, huh? <laughs> he saw a Neanderthal appear, uh, you know, materialize at a seance. That that's that, yeah, that that's an out there kind of story. Okay. Let's continue on, though. They are creations and projections of our other mind and brain, Gooch said. But they do produce real, independent events in the real world. As these entities thrust themselves into our lives, two forms emerge, benevolent and malevolent. Jack Alice said malevolent encounters far outweigh the benevolent ones because only one type is playing by the rules. I definitely believe in a spirit world, Alice said. What a spirit world is, is just other dimensions. The reason the benevolent spirits are, aren't more active, it's an unwritten law of the universe not to interfere in the affairs of the indigenous people on the planet. The benevolent follow this, and the malevolent don't care. They're malevolent. Although Alice is convinced some of these spirit visitors are evil, he won't go so far as to call them demons. I don't put a whole lot of credence in the traditional Christians, he said. There's a right way to practice Christianity and a wrong way to practice Christianity. The wrong way, those people tend to see demons anywhere. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So, you see, this guy seems to think that uh, these things are real and there's a spiritual aspect to it. And perhaps he's right about that, but they apparently live by the, the credo of the... Uh, uh, the Federation of Planets from Star Trek, right? The non-interference clause. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, like I said, you do have to take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. And a lot of people have their opinions here. And that's fine. And this guy doesn't think that uh, the traditional Christian viewpoint of everything being a demon is correct. I, I agree. I don't think everything's a demon, right? <laughs> But uh, at any rate, um, at any rate, we have these various explanations thereof. Now, there would be Christian theologians and uh, Christian mystics who might describe some of these presences as demonic entities of some sort. So we'll see as we get through this a little bit more. But uh, we're going to wrap up here real soon. I'm just going to finish this next section, and we'll call it a night because we're running low on time. This is an interesting subject, though, and there's a lot to this. Uh, this book you could probably find as a free PDF download out there. It's it's good. If you're interested in the subject, I mean, pick it up and read it. This guy put a lot of effort into this because apparently he'd had some encounters of his own and he wanted some answers and solutions. So I, I figured this would be an interesting topic to explore here tonight. Let's continue on and then we're going to wrap up. D.H. Parsons, president of the Bliss Parsons Institute of Metaphysics in Columbia, Missouri, investigates hauntings and has encountered shadow people more than once. 
Both I and several of our investigators have seen these beings on investigations, Parsons said. There are several theories as to what these are, including ghosts and, yes, demons. In Christian interpretation, according to some paranormal investigators who happen to be Christian, some believe them to be a demon or some sort of evil entity, Parsons said. Who knows? My own feeling is that a shadow person is another representation of a residual memory of a person who had such a strong personality in life, good or bad, that a bit of their energy remained here in this dimension after the spirit crossed over. This leftover energy, Parsons said, is caught in a loop and replays over and over again. And he added he hasn't personally had a negative encounter with a shadow person. In all of the investigations I have done, I have never had any experience of a bad nature, no physical or spiritual attacks of any kind. Most of the time, the spirit beings are either friendly to us or confused by us or curious as to why we are there. But they have never done us any harm, not even the shadows. Although many more people have encountered the malevolent shadows, Debbie has encountered a benevolent shadow man. In 2000, she was lying awake in bed when pain bit her deeply. Suddenly, my head hurt horribly for no apparent reason, she said. I was in a state that I cannot describe except to say that I was experiencing derealization to some degree. Corresponding with her pain, three balls of light about the size of a 21-inch television set appeared in the room. I felt someone tell me that... They were his protection and do not get up, she said. I was then prompted to turn my head toward my closet and standing in front of it, as well as at the foot of my bed, was the figure of what appeared to be an older man. Although she couldn't see features, she knew this darker-than-night shadow, highlighted by lights that were not from her room, was a man. Lights were what formed his shape, she said. As well was the prominent shadow, the man was nothing more than lights or energy of some kind. Again, I felt someone tell me that he was a wise man just visiting to see how I am, she said. I could move my head and eyes around the room with no disruption as to the location of what I was seeing. I just continued to stare at it for about 15 minutes and never got up because another was keeping me from wanting to do so. And so, out of respect, I just sat there and looked. Eventually, the shadow man and the lights disappeared, and with them went her headache. Now, here's the real eerie part, Debbie said. I was in the coffee aisle of the store and glanced over a box of green tea, and the shape of the man that I had seen was the same shape of the individual on the box, whose name is Kang. It was on a good earth green tea package, being one that deals with much synchronicity in their life i accepted the experience as a change of lifestyle so i put my coffee back and bought tea and i'm gonna pause for a second here folks so this was kang <laughs> okay and kang is you know the villain in the ant-man movie right now i guess uh so take that for what you will but at any rate this last portion we're gonna read here is called Demons of Christianity. Tanya and her family moved into their new house in 2005. New house, new neighborhood, and new visitors. It was nothing they'd expected. I have seen a shadow person run by me more than once, Tanya said, and she wasn't alone. My son has seen a black orb with smoke on it in his closet, and the dog with him went crazy with fear. But the thing that appeared to Tanya's daughter was terrifying. My daughter woke up and there was a thing looking at her, Tanya said. The shadow had pointed ears, large eyes with no pupils. The eyes had blood veins running down to where the pupil should have been. The thing vanished, but the encounter was enough for Tanya's family. 
I have had this house blessed and did a ritual cleansing, but we still see activity, she said. We all hear things in the closets, and they have sliding doors and sometimes open by themselves. Bishop James Long, pastor of St. Christopher Old Catholic Church in Louisville, Kentucky, has studied demonology and the paranormal for years and knows stories like Tanya's are real. Shadow people must be taken seriously, and they can be quite dangerous, he said. Quite often, when a human spirit tries to manifest itself, its form is black or otherwise known as shadow. It is energy trying to manifest itself so that it can appear to have the physical characteristics it had when living on Earth. These entities can move, communicate, and physically attack. Certainly shadows that attack are demonic in nature and should be avoided at all times, Long said. I would strongly encourage anyone who witnesses a dark shadow to be careful. It could be a human spirit trying to manifest itself, but it could also be demonic in nature. How then can you tell which shadows are spirits and which are evil? David grew up in a house in Junction City, Kansas, a house with a dark, dark past. The only thing I was told about the history was that the former owner's son was into the occult and Satanism, David said. The walls had to be scrubbed because there were satanic symbols on the walls. And in this house, David saw shadow people. There were a man and a woman on my bedroom wall across from my bed, he said. They were there almost every night. The outlines of the couple looked to be dressed in the style of the 1940s. They looked as if they were conversing, he said, and would occasionally stop and look over at me while I was falling asleep. These shadow figures didn't frighten David, but he never knew if the entities were good or evil. There is always a way to find out if you are dealing with an evil entity, Wong said. Should you see an apparition of what appears to be a human spirit, there will always be some type of defect if it is demonic in nature. Only true human spirits, he said, can manifest themselves to the exact detail as to when they existed on earth. Remember, demonic entities will try to trick you and appear as a loved one that passed, Long said. But when you view the entity, you will notice that the entity will have a flaw. Has there been an insurgence of demonic activity in recent years? Stephen Jansen of London thinks there has, and it's because of the breakdown of faith in society. The problem we are facing in the UK at the moment is mainly due to the fact that society does not have faith in any god anymore, he said. Money, jobs, etc. have taken over in people's lives, and god does not fe feature or fit in anymore. Jansen feels the church is largely to blame for this. The church in itself is growing weaker, allowing things that the Bible outrightly states is wrong, he said. Binge drinking, drug abuse, and sexual perversion, to name but a few, are getting worse, and these things take your mind to a different level of consciousness that you cannot control in the state you are in. Once this happens, Jansen said, a person's spiritual defenses are gone, and you are like a big red tour bus just waiting for demons and evil spirits to board. These entities, he said, or shadow pe are shadow people. My guess is that these so-called shadow people are nothing but a certain type of demon that finds it easier to cross over into our world. Although some seem to be oblivious of the fact that they are here, indicating that a window has somehow mistakenly been opened or left open into their dimension. All right, folks, the next portion here goes on to a couple different aspects of things, like the jinn of Islam, the wandering souls of Hinduism, unseen realms of Buddhism, Native American shamanism, and ghosts. They're explained as ghosts. And that is the rest of that chapter and portion of the book. 
But that's all we're going to cover here tonight. But there are these various other explanations for these things. And some of them sound like plausible options for a basic description of these things. I don't think it describes every single case. But there's definitely something to this phenomenon. And I find it truly interesting. So people from all walks of life have had these various encounters or experiences in their lifetime and will attest to some of these ideas. I think it's a phenomenon that is worthy of investigation, and I see that there are a lot of people who have investigated it and have drawn some conclusions from it. So it's always good to take a look at these things and perhaps consider that there's something here that we can't physically explain in this reality. Some paranormal factor of things, some spiritual component that is largely ignored by our society. We need to be mindful of those things. And like I said, I think it's worthy of consideration. I enjoy these types of topics. I like to look at the various explanations given through the various perspectives that come about from this. The angle of physics, the angle of metaphysics, the angles of these different possibilities. And we see how these shadow being entities sometimes mirror some of the ideas that are given within the secret society groups of the nature of the human being and of what they call the Aramonic double. Is that a possibility as well? Could this be the, the dweller on the threshold, the guardian of the threshold, as explored by the different occult teachings from these secret society groups? Perhaps this is a type of manifestation of something similar to that, an energetic attachment, as we see, a thought form. And this kind of gives more credence to the idea of a tulpa, or an egregore, as well. So these are descriptive means of categorizing this phenomena in different ways. And I think maybe some or all of these different explanations can and do apply at certain points, but not across the board to all of them. We don't know everything, nor can we ever know anything, but I think the important thing here to remember is the archetypal nature of the shadow. This is the essence of the unknown or the unknowable. That's what the symbol represents largely. So we will never attain a true appropriate answer that fits across the board for all of this. Now we may learn some things and facts about it and be able to possibly explain some of the aspects of the phenomenon, but this is the nature of our reality, how there's always a mystery that abounds about the nature of reality here. We don't know how it works, nor can we know all about how it works on this side of the gate here, so to say. And maybe we won't even know when we get to the other side. I think that's a very real possibility, too. Only God knows how it all works. We have limited intellectual capacity to understand these various things as human beings. 
So that being the case, this represents the unknown or the unknowable, the whole shadow archetype that underlies all of it. And it's a real phenomenon, don't get me wrong. So it's not something that could be explained away psychologically, not something that could be explained away physiologically, as some have attempted to do with the sleep paralysis hypothesis and various things like that. There's something more to it. I don't know what the answer is, but I do tend to think that the archetype is the important facet of it, and that perhaps we experience these things because... It's the manifestation of that archetype. And it leads us further into exploring the nature of reality. And maybe at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about seeking out answers to the nature of reality. Seeking out God, the creator, for those answers. To bring us closer to God. Perhaps that's the reasoning for it being here as a phenomenon. Hard to say for sure, and like I said, I, I do caution you take this stuff with a grain of salt, and I do reserve the right to be totally wrong about all of it, but uh, that's my two cents on the matter, and I find this topic interesting, and perhaps we'll explore more of the paranormal-type topics like this at some future time, because they do tie into a lot of the things we talk about here, about the secret society groups, these occult fraternities, they certainly believe in this stuff and act upon these various things. So it's worthy of consideration here, in my estimation, because the things they do to act upon their beliefs will affect all of us. So even if you think it's total nonsense, understand there's people in positions of power in this world that very much do believe it and act upon it. And that will affect us at some level. So... Anyway, I hope this was informational and, in, and interesting for you tonight. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night now. Come with me.